What's he doing? Who? Rory. 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 There was something. Who's oh, Rory. Uh, yeah, that Rory. Yeah, the other one. Um, there was something about a dog haircut. So, if you're gonna if you're gonna be late, a dog haircut. That's that. It might well be that's happening. Because why would you lie? But that is a poor excuse for, for keeping us waiting. Am there was I also something about the Peak District, which seems an awful long way to go for any sort of haircut. Is he completely mismanaging his time again? The Peak District? What's happening? Well, he has to take his dog to have its haircut in the Peak District. <laughs> so, let me get this straight. Last week's episode, we rearranged, mm-hmm. and I managed to rearrange as a result my human haircut because of the rearrangement of the pod recording. Yeah. So I'm prepared to do that, and mm. yet Rory is going to be a number of moments late today because he can't move a dog haircut. But when did he, when did he tell us? Oh, about, about an hour and a half ago. Exactly. So not a day or two days, an hour before we're meant to be doing it, I can't make it, I'm going to be late. What's all that about? It's going to be late. It, it, just once again, it proves that he treats his dog on a higher plane than either his human family yeah. or his human uh, colleagues and friends. But he's, he's not going to change, is he? Whatever we say, he'll, he'll just do the same again. He'll keep letting us down. Maybe we start, need to start bad-mouthing the dog. Oh, hold on. <laughs> he could snap. He could seriously lose it if we started having to go at Hector. We could, we could make out that Hector has been having walks with other human males. Oh, <laughs> can you imagine? Human males. Can you imagine? Hold on a minute. Oh, what's I, that? I see, I see oh. a, uh, a vaping gentleman oh. come through the vape like the vaping air. We don't get attractive men like that every day in Woodford. <laughs> we really don't. Who is this? Sauntering up the driveway. You should, you should lock your door because he's, oh, he's, just, not got in, he's has he? just walked in. Oh, Hi, Smith. Nice of you to join us. That's the us. beauty of living in the countryside, Chinch, isn't it? You don't have to close your door. No. Here yeah, but then the trouble is, you get any old, anybody just wandering in off the street. The security around here is an absolute <laughs> joke. <laughs> so then, welcome <laughs> to Set Piece Menu. Uh, here we Hang are. On. This is the podcast where four friends talk football <laughs> over food. Yes, that's right. Four friends via Russia, Venice, Tuscany, Portugal and a caravan in Suffolk. We are together again. Uh, thank you for your patience. It's annoying when you have both A, jobs and B, holidays to overcome when you're also trying to fit in your C, unpaid labour of love pod. Um, the food has been provided because we are at the house of Mrs Hinchcliffe uh, by Miss Hinchcliffe. Um, we have bacon sandwiches, which Rory, arriving late, is now finding out is slightly lukewarm as a result. Mm. Uh, chinch to your family, extended. Uh, thank you very much indeed for the bacon sandwiches. And would you like to describe these? Um I would go as far as to say they're muffins. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Of two, I don't, of actually, two different they, varieties. I, well, I don't know that, Steve, because, yeah, they're, they're different colours, so I'm presuming they taste different. Taste very different. Yeah. Steve's probably had one of each by now. Uh, it doesn't take him very long to get through a muffin. Uh, so then, here we are. This is Set Piece Menu with Rory Smith and, amongst others, former England international Andy Hinchcliffe. Uh, you are all very welcome to the show. Can I ask a question? Rory's got his first contribution of the day. So on our WhatsApp group... When I said that I was going to be late, I said that there was not a chance in a million years that you lot would, and I believe I used, someone used the word clowns, it's not clear who. <laughs> it's very clear. I think it's very clear, and it's, it's evidentially available via that WhatsApp group. Said, you, you said, yes we will. It's a, Steve, I think, described it as a challenge. How long have you been recording for? We've been recording for a good amount of time that has provided all of our listeners with some excellent content. Yeah. Answer my question. I think people have been enjoying us for a good three minutes, and uh, for that reason, they should be very grateful. I knew I had time to take Hector to the barbers. So, first of all, 
Hector to the barbers couldn't be moved? Uh, tried to move it, couldn't move it. Right, They're okay. very busy. They're urban poor. It's just like the Nicky Clark <laughs> dog hairdressers. They are, they are the urban poor. Yeah. Uh, They're not the urban poor, they must be making a fortune. You've, you've, so you've been right near my house? I've been right near your house. I've been to the park around the corner from your yeah. house. We right. often walk past the urban poor and my children are completely bamboozled by the fact that you would have a hairdresser for dogs. Not only do you have a hairdresser for dogs, it is more expensive to have your hair cut if you're a dog <laughs> than it is if you're a man. Even if the frequency of your haircut is once every four weeks, which we have already decided is something apparently completely ridiculous. Where are your tints? My tints, did yeah, you say? Your tints. They've, my hair grows at an alarming rate. <laughs> your tints have uh, gone. They've gone. I had a haircut and they were snipped off by Roberto, my, uh, my Portuguese hair technician. Roberto Martinez. <laughs> by Roberto oh, Martinez. that would be. That, how much would you pay for that to have Roberto Martinez cut your hair? Roberto Martinez Ooh. cutting the hair of your dog. There you go. Yeah. You've made it. Yeah. You must be a millionaire at the very least. But he cut your hair in a very open, expansive style, wouldn't he? Yeah. Um, so you will remember from last week, Rory had a Wikipedia page, and this was particularly significant for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, that Rory had a Wikipedia page, and that very much is the blue tick of the internet. Um, it is a significant step in the life of anyone who Googles themselves regularly. The only thing was is that we then spent the few days afterwards completely undermining that achievement uh, by Rory um, because after it mentioned that Rory records every week with, amongst others, Andy Hinchcliffe, there was obvious and considerable outrage from the amongst others. So within, I think, moments of the podcast going live, uh, we found the guy who created Rory's page. He is actually called Guy. Uh, so in an effort to <laughs> completely um, undermine Rory's uh, life achievement, we bullied Guy into adding Steve and my names and then subsequently setting up an SPM page. It's that easy. Rory, you achieve nothing. Um, also, then at the Pigeon Post, who is a regular correspondent, amended Chinch's page to include mention of the pod, which, Andy, it says on your Wikipedia page, records with, amongst others, Rory Smith. Yes. Um, so, therefore, we have kind of gone in a full circle and Steve and I have been left out even though we thought we'd fix the problem. So, uh, Rory, unfortunately, your, uh, your Wikipedia page is no longer singular and it has been flooded with mentions elsewhere. I do apologise. Lord, I'm a man completely stripped of all vanity. <laughs> <laughs> They're just piggybacking on our massive success, Rory, exactly. aren't they? I, I, that's exactly. the way I see it. Other yeah. people might Precisely. see it differently. Precisely. Mm. Precisely. Mm. It's all right. We'll, we'll remember you guys on the way up. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks then to Guy Fraser and at the Pigeon Post on Twitter for their efforts. Both, and this is a big moment, much bigger than Rory getting a Wikipedia page, both are now buffaloes. Ooh. Previously, they were just amongst others. Yes, they were amongst others. Now they are f significant buffaloes. Uh, and a lesson to you all, just do our promotional work, or more importantly, massage our egos, and buffalo status may not be very far away. So there's something to think about for the next few weeks. Also, all this Wikipedia stuff has led us to an article on Deezer, which was one of the references made on a number of those Wikipedia pages, which named Set Piece Menu as one of the best podcasts of 2017. Yes, Set Piece Menu, according to Deezer UK, which is a significant streaming service and hosting site, um, named us as one of the best podcasts of 2017. Their marketing, however, is not great because they didn't reach us. So in September of 2018, we can announce that we were named as one of the podcasts of 2017. It, it sounds great. How many other people were on that list? Was there thousands or were we in a, a no, select there were, bunch? I think, I think there were five or six. 
Seriously? Yeah, of all categories. I didn't think we were that good, but clearly we are. The people compiling that list may not have heard many podcasts. <laughs> they listened to six and gave which, them all the best Which one off. they heard and thought, they're good. Incidentally, they're good. That, that goes back a long way, but we can also announce that Steve won a junior school reading prize and that Andy is still hoping for an eighth England cap. Yeah, my <laughs> junior school reading prize was within the last two years. <laughs> Those pieces of news just reaching us. Um, so, it is uh, September. So the entries for this season's SPM PLPL are now closed. The total number very much exceeded our expectations, so thank you very much indeed. There are some interesting statistics that have been provided to us via Best Man Billy. Nobody thought Manchester City would finish outside the top three. In fact, 82.4% think that they're going to win it. Is that surprising? Why no does anybody team? think they were going to finish outside the top two? Well, I, I tell you, when, when you listen to the other statistics, you realise that that is actually quite surprising. No team other than City and Liverpool have even 1% chance of winning the league, according to the SPM PL PL entrance. Might These are people who have decided to, which uh, teams will finish 1-20 to 20 in the Premier League this season. Watford have started well, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> There's always a chance. Leicester and Bournemouth are the only teams outside the traditional top six that anyone else thought would win the league. So Leicester and Bournemouth got votes to win the league. And Southampton, Huddersfield and Cardiff are the consensus picks for relegation, according to the entrance to the SPMPLPL. So thank you to everybody for entering our Premier League Predictions League. Um, you can keep an eye on how you're doing at tinyurl.com forward slash menu. But for now, we're folding that up in a little envelope and putting it to one side like we do our payslips and tax receipts. No, <laughs> they're just scattered out. around the office <laughs> on a big spike. You can get in touch with the podcast at setpiece menu or setpiece menu at gmail.com, or you can go to Facebook where you can just search setpiece menu. Incidentally, a quick update from Mark, who suggested last week's uh, transfer window topic. He says, Very glad to hear Rory in particular agreeing with me. So that's a good thing. Thanks, Mark. None of the amongst others there. Um, less happy, though, he says, for the thought of Daniel Levy having tantric sex over the deadline closing. Um, so I thought that was a highlight. <laughs> really not something we should be proud of, apparently, according to Mark. Uh, so then, to this week's subject on Set Piece Menu. I imagine a lot of you listening will be heavy consumers of football on the radio and on the television. We certainly are. If you are a heavy consumer, uh, perhaps, of Sky Sports, you'll have come across an excellent co-commentator, pundit, colour guy. That colour was blonde tips. They are sadly no more. His name is Andrew George Hinchcliffe, age 49. Mm -hmm. And he joins us on the podcast now. Hello, Andrew. Hi. Uh, not only is Andy good at his job, he's good at thinking about his job. We're going to find out if he's good at talking about his job. So we thought we'd ask him to pull back the curtain on being a co-commentator. What makes a good one? What makes a bad one? And why he is Definitely the former and not the latter. This is Anatomy of a Pundit, brought to you by Set Piece Menu in association with Andy Hinchcliffe. We're talking punditry, people. That's better than talking your anatomy. It is a very... <laughs> well, don't... Yeah, certain parts I'd steer clear of. Uh, most parts I'd steer clear of. It is a fascinating topic. For me, I find this very, very interesting. And it was watching the World Cup this summer... I was driven partially mad or madder, listening and watching the guys in the studio, the people doing the co-commentary work. It, it drove me mad because they're not really doing the job. Let's name some names. Glenn Hoddle <laughs> was calling the Croatian centre-forward Mandukic. That isn't his name. <laughs> it's a World Cup final, Glenn. Now, I love Glenn. You know what I feel about Glenn. But... Pronunciations, this is, you've got to, come on, you've got to get that right. But we need to boil it down. We need to, we need to start all over again. Blank sheet of paper. 
We've got studio guests, we've got co-commentators, former footballers working in, in the media with no broadcasting experience beforehand. What are we there to provide as former players? Blonde tips. Blonde tips are optional. Tattoos. Optional. Again, most players have them. I would say that what both studio guests and Utocoms are there to provide are something that the viewer cannot see. Ha-ha! So bring the experience... Ha-ha! I'll do it again. It's that important. You hit the nail on the head there. It's bring your experience to bear of having been a footballer and adding layers that people, fans, when they watch games, they simply won't see. And fans, I'm sure, feel they see everything when they watch a match. They clearly don't because the job of a former player then working in this industry, certainly as a co-commentator, is to add the extra layers. To complement and enhance. To to inform and to entertain, Stephen. And it got me so annoyed and wound up, not just this summer, this is something that I've been thinking about for a year, is is listening to... for one year. For a good year. year. (laughs) It only dawned on me 12 months ago. How long have you been in this job? Seven years. But when I first came into it, what I thought was, well, I'm lucky to be in this industry. Everybody else must be doing it right. I've got to learn how to do it like they do it. So but who, then... Who, who plucked you from obscurity? Uh, well, uh, Billy, Billy McGinty well, was the... Well, let's I was, go back a bit. Let's go back a stage. Yeah, but I, I was... Who plucked you from... from Ian, Ian Cheeseman no, at no, uh, BBC... Do, what? Do, do the significant step. Oh, you're trying to play up your own importance in all this, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Where I learned the, the base, the bedrock yeah. of my broadcasting career. Still Ian Cheeseman? <laughs> kind of, but in completely the wrong way. Yeah, sadly, you did have a huge bearing... Yeah. On getting me into this. So it's your fault. Okay, that, that is my it's last your fault. No, no, my it's your fault. Yeah, working within radio together, I learned how, how the job should be done. And that's what made me look around and, and listen to all these other people doing the job. And then actually, the, the longer it went on, it, sometimes you feel, well, they've, they've played more games than you. They've won more things than you. They, they should know more, more than you. You should be learning from them about what their, their, their job is all about. But actually, the more I listened to them, I thought, actually... You know, I'm not learning anything. I don't find it entertaining. And isn't that the point that you're in these positions in the first place? So, as I say about a year, and it is a confidence thing, and actually say, wait a minute, I don't feel this has been done properly. I started to, to ask a lot of the, the commentators, the senior commentators that I work with, Martin Tyler, Alan Parry, Rob Hawthorne, been around for 40, 50 years. I even asked you, Stephen, didn't I? <laughs> Am I not one of these? Some of the younger, the young guns, so, the young Turks. Oh, I see. Hang on a minute. You know, you, I wanted a bit of balance the there. Yeah. You we, asked, amongst others, yes. Alan Parry, Martin Tyler, Yes. There's a list of 25, and Stephen I did ask you two, Hugh and Rory, but you basically couldn't be bothered because you were doing more well, important things. Well, I'm not a senior things. commentator, and Rory No, but still your view, still your view of I, the job, because you're intelligent people. I gave you all the views that you had at the beginning. Ah, I cannot give so you that's your that's your job, don't you? I would dream of telling people how to do their job but <laughs> don't you do that all the time that is literally my job yeah so why were you why didn't you tell me the job I sorry, should be sorry. doing I wouldn't dream of telling people who I might meet in a social situation oh I see because so you don't want to get thumped <laughs> hence, yeah. right, hence okay. in not talking to Roberto Martinez anymore so mm. I, I started to think right well maybe I can, can I start changing the way that this this job is done so Having all these conversations with all the commentators, and it really the one conversation I had with Alan Parry, I said to Alan Parry, I've worked alongside him for two, three years. I said to Alan, what, what is the role, my role, next to you on a gantry covering a game? What, what is the co-commentator's role? And he said no one had ever asked him that in 40 years. No one had ever asked him exactly what am I meant to be doing here. No one had offered to go and get him a cup of tea at half-time um, for 40 years. They, they did do that. That was the beginning and the end of everything he wanted. But it was the talking bit. 
So he then, I said to him, well, can you just give me, and he said, this is amazing. No, so I thought, right, I must be onto something here. Why has this never been broached? Especially when you've got former players coming into an industry that they've probably had no experience of. They're, they're given a microphone and told to go on, be a co-commentator, and they have no idea what the job actually entails. Same for me, same for many people who work for Sky. It's a sink or swim attitude. You either can do it or you can't. But then I said, well, wait a minute, what do you mean by can you do it? What are we meant to be doing? So I wanted to get down um, to kind of the, the bullet points of what a co-commentator should be providing when he picks up his microphone. And apparently this has never been done for 40 odd years or since commentary and co-commentary came along. So I thought I'm going to be, I could be a game changer. I saw myself as a game changer okay. with a, a capital <laughs> G and would it be a capital C or it's all one word. just it's all one word. a hyphen or is it all one no, word? All one word. You, you can have, you can have capitals throughout if you like. Um, that's shouty, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so I don't want to be shouty. I want to make a, have an impact, but I don't want to shout in people's faces. You've got to save that so for I, the World Cup final moment, Chinch. Yeah. Yeah. Capital letters for the World Cup final winning goal. Man, Man do Kitch. <laughs> oh no, that's not his name. So what I'm going to do, I've got, a, you see, I'm getting old. So I, I occasionally wear glasses to read and look more intelligent. I'd like to think those so, are actually your glasses. No, they are. They, I haven't bothered them off my grandmother. They are a tremendous pair of floral glasses. I was going to say. Rory, they, impressed? Astonishing. They are, aren't they? I went into boots. And <laughs> wrong section. Anyway, <laughs> I've got the glasses on, so this is how serious I'm taking this. And I'm starting to put this fledgling plan together because Sky said, yeah, this is a great idea. Why don't you look into it and put it together? By the way, he's wearing his glasses like Dimbleby does on question time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you see yeah. what I'm doing? Yeah, this is how important this is. Um, so we have. We started to put a plan together of what the job is all about. And now we have the, the commentators, we've had producers, directors telling us what we should be, should and shouldn't be doing. And there is actually a job to be done. Lots of people have said, oh, it's completely subjective. You, um, it's, it's, you just pick up the microphone. No, clearly you don't because there's lots of rules that you, you're there to follow and that is your job. But this is the first time. This paper, can you hear it? Can you hear it rustling? This could change the future of football. I am the modern day Jimmy Hill and it's not just because of the chin. So that the front page has got a pie chart. It has, it, hasn't and, it? And about three sentences in very large print. Is yes. the rest is the rest of the paper just um, filler, or is it actually worth? No, it? this oh, is this is print. content. Content coming in. Well, is there a PowerPoint version of this? That is, I'm going to eventually. I'm putting seminars together. How many pages? Be like the Tony Robbins of co-commentary. What? There's, there's about thirty pages. Yeah, but there's all the. So I went to the luminaries to get all. You know what is co-commentary all about? Alan Parry, Rob Hawthorne. Steve Wyeth is in there. That shouldn't be there. I'll just put that um, That's suddenly become an appendix. But again, with, with having all this info, it, there was threads that, that came up time and time and time again. So this is, so it's very quickly, four or five things were, were pretty obvious what we should and shouldn't be doing. But for co-commentary, this is why I feel I work so well in this, in this particular role is because you can't see me. <laughs> because why would you want to look at this? With your glasses on. You wouldn't. No. So... It's about successful communication. And this is what I'm trying to now with the younger guys that are coming into Sky. We're going to sit them down and talk to them and say, well, look, if, you, if people can't see you, you have to explain yourself really well. You have to have a wide vocabulary and you've got to use your tone of voice to express your opinions. You've listened to Andy Murray. He's just on a monotone. He just speaks on the same level as Noah Bodown. It's very boring. I think Phil Neville got heavily criticised for one commentary he did where his content was great. He was telling us all about formations and tactics, but his delivery was... Terrible. It was England, Italy yeah. in the uh, last World And he, he didn't recognise himself when he listened to it back. And so all this thing, think. all this is really important about how you get your message across. And then if you learn how to get your message across, it's what you should be doing in, in the role. And it is. It's about layers. It's about showing fans 
entertaining them but informing them and, and showing them things that they simply can't see when, when something happens on a football pitch. Just just breaking quickly because you, you said earlier on about the fact that it's sink or swim, you're just given a microphone and off you go. Yeah. What would or what should people say to an incoming newbie mm. about... Or what, what kind of guidance, what kind of advice do you think that they should be given? I'm talking about day one here. I'm not talking about page 17. I'm talking about, about day one that, that's clearly lacking because you saying it is one thing because you've done the job, mm. but they haven't. Th- those are television and radio executives who know what makes a good co-commentator, but they've never done it themselves. Yeah. So it's very hard to disseminate that information if they haven't had first-hand experience of it. Well, there has to be some period. So, of, so this what is what I'm saying. There has to be some period of understanding what you're... You can't just... People who, I only did the job relatively decently to start with because I'd watched people talking on the TV and I knew when they talked. That's the only reason I knew when I was probably meant to speak. Was well watching. Was no one had kind of coached me. The level you got from Hugh? Was that, no, you were that was, relatively that's what I got from Cheeseman. Oh. Yeah, Hugh dragged me down a little bit and then I picked myself back up again. But the, the problem you have, if you just throw people in on day one without any kind of idea about the job that they're doing, they can make mistakes even working with the actual technology, that, that nothing, nobody explains the conversations you can have with directors or producers. Or they, no one explains so how they, the, the commentary ad- box even works. Do they assume that you know that? Or, or if you get it right or wrong, they judge you and say, well, you can do it or you can't do it by whether you do it on that first day. But also, are they intimidated by the fact that you're a former footballer and they're not a former footballer and they perhaps don't want to teach I think somebody so, I, to suck it? I feel it's completely the other way around. And the former players feel really intimidated stepping into an environment they might be able to put sentences together and, and can explain a game really well but suddenly you throw them onto a gantry and say there's your microphone you're going to be hearing a producer a director you'll be hearing the commentator speak you've got to have your own thoughts as well you're going to have to talk when the replays come on you're going to have to tell us what we should be looking for these guys have no experience in broadcasting a lot of them haven't done anything like this and why, why would they have done so surely there has to be a, a lead up to stepping into doing this job, in the, whether it be the studio or co-commentary, certainly co-commentary work. So this is what I'm hoping, is that if this plan we put together with all those great commentators and Steve's help, <laughs> is that we, is can, we, can, we can kind of sit them down. We've got a load of clips that I can kind of show them to explain, obviously seeing clips, seeing goals go in and say, what should you be looking for? Because it's obvious he's crossed it and he's headed into the top corner. Absolutely don't say that because people can see it. So there's, there's different ways of doing this. We've got the, the explanation of what the job is all about and then we can sit down and show them clips and, and talk them through maybe what they should be looking for and get their minds because you have to watch a game very differently to see all the stuff that the fans don't see. If you watch the ball, you're dead in the water. You have to watch the whole pitch all the time because it's the movement off the ball. It's where mistakes are made, positioning mistakes. That is where you'll have the biggest impact because like a fan, most people just watch the ball. And if you watch the ball, two or three seconds go by, everything has happened and it's too late and you won't have seen the really important bits are Aguero's run or a centre-half stepping up. That's what we're there to see. So you're educating them how to watch the game, how to explain themselves really well. And there has to be a level of, of training in this. It's amazing, BBC, ITV, Sky... There isn't anything in place to give former players with no broadcasting experience an idea of the job that they're being asked to do. They're just given a microphone and say, well, you played international football, you'll be okay. And that's how it's been for 40, 50 years, which I find incredible. We'll come to the technical aspects in a moment and perhaps you could explain uh, what it takes to talk over a replay and what you are saying over that replay because the thing that people most recognise a co-commentator um, as describing is, is a replay. But first of all, Rory, despite what it says on your fulsome Wikipedia page, you are the only non-broadcasting member of this group, although you are 
an extensive broadcaster, but you don't do game time stuff, which no. the three of us have done in the past. So what I would say to you is, do you notice when a co-commentator is doing the right thing, the wrong thing? Do you make a, a qualitative judgment on what you're watching or hearing? Yes, I think you, as a speaking it now as a fan, which is what I am when I'm watching a television broadcast of a, fo- of a football match, uh, I think what you listen to, the, the, the commentators that you take note of that you realise are good, the co-coms, are the ones who will point something out to you not only that you haven't seen, but that perhaps wouldn't be obvious to you even if you had seen yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you do notice the ones who do that well. There are different styles, I think, of doing that job. And there seems to be people who've, who've taken a different kind of approach. So I will name names. People like Lauro and Robbie Savage seem to have decided that their job is at least in part to kind of bounce off the commentator, yeah. provide some sort of, in inverted commas, entertainment. Um, not necessarily sure I don't see either of them at the Palladium, but <laughs> that seems to be what they think part of their job is. And it may well be that the BBC have got some research that says that's what people like. I'm conscious that maybe I'm not, we're not, typical of the football view in public. The, the ones that I enjoy the most are people like, and I'm not saying this just to annoy him, but Danny Higginbotham, mm-hmm. who I think is really good at at explaining the, the tactical context, context, context of a game. Chinch, obviously... Is extraordinary. It really well, is. Danny and I, Danny, uh, since he's come and worked for Sky, he has been a big part of this as well because he wants to do it very differently. Does yeah. do it very differently, and we feel this is what the next. This is what we should be doing. This is what hasn't been done. But Danny's Danny's right up there. Yeah, but I definitely. think Chinch's, Chinch's great strength, and it's a fairly obvious example, is is that when there is the, the stereotype is that the, the co-coms is there to say, "Oh, he's crossed it, and it's a yeah, goal. Yeah. It's a great shot. He's kicked it like he would have liked to," and that's kind of the. The people who don't like football, that's the pastiche of it that they that they have. I think what Chinch does really well is explain to you what allowed the goal to happen, which is what you want. Because sometimes it sounds, say a cross does come in and it's a beautifully sweet, clean volley into the top corner. You'll find, when I listen to commentators say, oh, it's a look how beautifully cleanly and it flies into the top. I'm thinking, you, you, you've got nothing else to mention because you haven't seen anything else. And it all sounds wonderful and it does and it kind of washes over you. But going back to, well, what are you actually there to provide? Well, how does he find the space to get the shot? And yes, the technique, and I'd say, take nothing away from the technique, but a defender's ball watching hasn't got close enough to it. There's always a reason why maybe a goal goes in, and we're very careful. We have to be careful about if a goal goes in and it is a spectacular goal, the first thing you have to is the enjoyment in a goal being scored. So don't say, well, this is terrible because the defender's not done this. You can kind of play up to what a wonderful strike it is, but then you have to say... The reasons why this is why this is is it too easy for the cross to come in? Is there too much space for the for the guy who scores to operate in? There's always something that has gone wrong defensively normally that enables a goal to be scored. But we, rather than just go steaming in on the defensive side of it and be negative, I, I do I do play up a bit and entertain because people want it. If a goal gets smashed in from 25 yards, if I say, oh the defender's really not closed him down, it, it just takes away and it just dampens the moment which we don't want to lose. And also saying nothing is something, the most powerful thing you can do. I remember a goal recently when there's a volley went in, brilliant goal, and the commentator was working with Dan Mann just said, glorious. And the celebrations spoke for themselves. There was nothing we could say that would improve the moment. So we just leave the moment to speak for itself. They go and celebrate with the benches. So again, you've got to, again, you've got to work at this and say, well, what am I there to provide? It's the entertainment, but the information, and you always say going back to the goal or you show another replay and say, well, it is a brilliant strike, but just look at this aspect. It, it may be so that's the job that we're there to do. It may be handing out with you chances that's, that's <laughs> made this 
made this happen. <laughs> but I now I'm really conscious of the difference between. I really notice radio commentators who move into television because there is a lot more talking. Yes. And obviously in radio, you have to talk. Yeah. You can't leave silences. I mean, I guess if, if there's a, a massive explosion of noise after a goal, you might leave a few seconds. But as a rule, if you're silent, then it's just dead air and nothing. Which is why you get those passages of play in the radio where they'll, where they'll go Schneiderlin to Gay to Schneiderlin. To, and you think, yeah, this is boring. But that's because... <laughs> Some, someone's got to say something but you do notice when they then switch the TV that there is a a time lag mm-hmm. as they work out I don't need to say Schneiderlin today Schneiderlin today you can because people can see it people can see what's happened people know what's happening but radio I, for, for former players radio is really good because it again you need to because you have to speak so you have to have more words you have to be able to put sentences together so it's a great grounding I feel for former players to work in radio and then eventually, if they do make the move into television, you're going to use less words because people can see what's happening. But that grounding, but again, that's kind of the, the training ground for going maybe into TV commentary. You have to have that. So whether you're in a classroom learning about the job or just doing the job, but in a, in a different environment in radio, that will help you enormously. Because a lot of the guys that we that are coming along now maybe didn't have the greatest of educations before they went into football. They've not maybe read an awful lot or they, they, they don't have wide vocabulary. So... But you can work on that. If they're willing to put the work in, you can take them back to school, basically, and say, well, if the same situation happens twice in 10 seconds, can you explain it differently using different words? And they go, well, we have to do because you can't just basically repeat yourself because people will notice it. So having the words is one of the, this is the key thing. If you don't have the words or a variety of words or a range of vocabulary, you can't do the job. And so, again, getting even that. But you feel a bit sometimes a bit awful to say, well, actually, there's one lad that we're, we're going to be working with who... That is very much the case. He does see the game really well and wants to explain it, but he's limited by his word power. So we're going to then, this is an element of this, right, we'll, we'll work on that then. And you can do stuff, you can help yourself, you can read, you can listen to radio, watch TV, watch interviewing techniques, you can learn yourself if you're willing. And this is a job, this is the strange thing, this is not a hobby. This is, this is one of the first lines in this, is we're in this because we're former players, that's why they ask you to do the job, but it's a job. And it's something you have to work at. You don't just, you shouldn't just rock up, be given a match programme and then just say, I'm going to come to you. That, you can't do that. There's three or four days worth of work goes into this. It's a job. Chinch is too modest to touch upon this, but it is worth mentioning. It, it is an incredibly difficult job as well. It should not be taken for granted that because you played the game to a high level in the same way that, you know, good players don't always make good coaches. Mm. Good footballers don't necessarily make good co-commentators or pundits. That transition is is not a straightforward one. Chinch has obviously had the the mindset to work at it and think about what's right and what's wrong. But there is no guarantees that you hand the microphone to a former footballer and they will be able to describe the game in a manner that engages the audience. Because you do need to have a, a little bit of humour. I yeah. know we you know we've joked you know about you know, bouncing off your commentator, but there does need to be a warmth of relationship Some between banter. commentator. Yeah, a little bit, without it, with drifting towards... You don't want towards, it to be a comedy show. Yeah, you don't yeah, want it to drift yeah, towards yeah. partridgeisms, but yeah, yeah. It, there does need to be some warmth. There does need to be some engagement. People are inviting you into their homes, whether they're listening on the radio or watching on TV. So you don't want to alienate them. You don't want to betray their loyalty to the station that you're you're working for. You don't want to give them a reason to turn off, to switch over. Yes, vocabulary is, is very important, but that ability to 
to analyze from a co-commentator's point of view that ability to analyze the game but describe it in a way that you're not patronizing an audience which appreciate on, your audience Stephen on the number main, one two three four five six seven, oh, you nine, were ten getting, number ten on my list oh, I oh, right. count get, as well as oh yes he was getting there he was yeah. getting there yeah, you don't you, you've got a, a large majority of your audience will know the game well so you don't want to patronize them but you equally don't want to to alienate the more casual football fan who might not have the the grasp or, or the tactical awareness to appreciate what's happening. So that is a very difficult balance to strike, and, yeah. and that's one of the skills that good go- co-commentators mm. have. And the other thing that's really difficult is even if you are a particularly kind of eloquent former footballer like Chinch or Robbie Savage, <laughs> and you have an ability to, or on the other hand, <laughs> Robbie, <laughs> or. And even if you have the ability to, to convey that, you don't always, ne- or don't necessarily have the ability to convey that in five or six seconds speed immediately of, as it's happened. Speed, speed of thought, of thought yeah. is crucial. A lot of, a lot of guys were start in the studio and they're offered, I know lads at Sky, senior guys in the studio that you would see, that tried co-commentary and it was they, ha- they had to react now. You've got three seconds. So you have to be five, ten seconds ahead of the game. So you have to, again, mentally, you have to watch the game differently, think that much more quickly. And if you don't, everything will get bypassed. And you can hear it in certain commentators that they haven't been ahead of the game, is that when a goal goes in and I see something that's happened and think, you've got to mention that, you've got to mention that. And they don't. It's because they're not anticipating what might happen. So you have to change your mindset to do the job. And it might look as if, well, you're just stepping out the studio onto a gantry. It's the same thing. It isn't the same thing. You say a lot more and you have to think that much more quickly. And that is a big challenge for a lot of former players who maybe haven't had to. They've played a game instinctively. They've not had to have an instant reaction to something that happens. And that, that is really difficult. And the other thing that's, that's really important in terms of the co-coms in comparison to the studio pundits is people listen to the co-coms. Most people switch off once the game has finished. Yeah, yeah. People don't, as a rule, it's, it, people in TV don't like it when you tell them this, but as a rule, they, no one's watching until maybe 10 minutes before kick-off because people have got other stuff on. And they might they might watch a bit of the halftime anal- analysis. They might be making a cup of tea. They might be taking the dog out, you know, chatting ch- in the chatting pub, on the baby, talking in the pub, whatever, getting a drink. The and then as soon as the final whistle goes, you're losing half your audience because they support the team that's lost. Well, this is why I've been speaking to Sky about saying that the studio is in many ways in Sky is the be all and end all. It's where their big guns. They pay big money for these guys to sit in the studio. But if I do my job properly, the studio becomes redundant because when most people are watching, which is during the course of the game. If I'm given the technology, I can explain everything that the studio would probably explain if I missed it. But if I'm doing my job properly, I don't miss it. So they will repeat what I've said. And I think, well, I've done my job. If they're saying... But again, it's... In the past, you probably had commentators who did say, yeah, it's a great cross, lovely clean strike, it's ended up in the top corner. So then you need the studio to explain the defensive errors or the goalkeeper's positioning. But if we do that, which is our job in co-commentary you're making the studio a bit redundant. And I think Sky want you to really improve and be really good at this job, but don't be so good that you give us nowhere to go because we need our big guns to have something to say or they're going to have to find stuff that, not make stuff up, but actually go way away from actually what has happened because we, we've described everything as it happened. Chinch and his boots bought floral weird glasses are just the, the, the actions of a megalomaniac. Yeah. Look at you. You want to control everything. Yeah. There is a good reason for this disparity that Chinch has just described between what happens on the gantry and what happens in the studio is that if you make radio or television, the bit in the studio is the bit you can control. Yeah. 
you have no ability to, to direct or dictate what is going to happen in the match, whether it's going to finish nil-nil or 5-5. Five, five. So there is, a, there is a good reason why your big guns are in the studio to do the, the pre- and post-match analysis and the, half, the half-time stuff. It's because you can produce that element of the output the 90 minutes of, of the game mm. is very much dependent on the, the commentator and the co-commentator to be reacting to what's happening. Mm. But what's crucial about, I think, about looking at the role of the co-coms and, and the studio pundits and, and trying to kind of, as a horse, drift past the is window, it, like <laughs> a Cheshire <laughs> is so <laughs> idyllic. It's, it's every so every long since you've been time. here, you forgot what a horse looked like. <laughs> we do, I mean, I mean we're, I'm in Didsbury, which is hardly, you know... There are no horses there. Well, there's no horses. You, you might have to get a, a gang of youths drunk. <laughs> I'm sure that was Marjorie. Urban Fox gets me excited. I'm exactly. sure that was Marjorie on Big Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be. <laughs> I really want it to be the other way around. Jeff on Big Marjorie. <laughs> is 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 the horse called Big Jeff or is he called Jeff and he's big? Horses are fairly big, generally anyway. Yeah. But he's he's bigger than the he's the, the, the than average horse. He's known throughout Cheshire as being <laughs> Big Jeff. Yeah. I I think we're at quite an, an important mm. moment, and it applies across the media. But it's not just Tocoms and and TV pundits. It's it's for journalists as well, and for for columnists and what have you. The audience is much more sophisticated than it used to be. And I, I think the reason that that stool of co-commentary, he, he's d- the crosser him and he's headed it in, I re- think the reason that exists is because it's probably an, a job that's quite easy to do badly and be carried through by your your name, your fame, the fact that the people in the studio who are judging you don't really know what they're talking about, the the fact that a lot of fans you know, aren't really necessarily listening that keenly yeah. all of the time. It's... It may be if you're if you're watching in a pub, you probably don't hear a vast amount of the the co commentary. To be honest, the even if you're watching at home, you're you're fixated on the action to an extent. So I think you can be the he stuck that in the box. But mm. I think we're at a juncture driven partly by social media, driven partly by the sort of free accessibility of knowledge, where fans do expect tactical kind of assessments and analysis, even if it's not always right. And Chinch, I think one of the things I like most about Chinch and, and Danny Higginbotham is the fact that they will go to the managers of the club either before the game or in the week before the game and say what are you trying to do? Mm-hmm. And that's a crucial question. You cannot analyse I've had this argument on Twitter with lots of people it, you can't analyse a team tactically and say whether they did well or badly unless you, you know what the aim, the aim yes. of the game was. Yeah. Otherwise you're guessing. A lot of football is random a lot of it's chaos. But also in terms of analytics in terms of Expecting, expecting commentators to have heard of players. To you, you get occasionally once a year, Alan Shearer will say, you know, we didn't know, know much about French champion Hatem Ben Arthur, <laughs> or Newcastle will sign little-known France international Johan Kabay, and everyone will be really surprised by. Him. Fans expect everyone to have that knowledge. You're on TV or you're writing a newspaper. Mm-hmm. You should know more than me. You should be educated than me. And I think fans now demand that. So it's, I think it's really important that people look at that, the roles of the Tocoms and say. The, the base kind of tick, tick the boxes and go home approach doesn't work anymore because you're going to lose that authenticity and that authority that you, you get from being a former player. And that's that's what frustrated me during the World Cup. That the When we talked about VAR after the World Cup, we were talking about the frustrations that the people on the television, who mm. are, as Rory says, now supposed to be the kind of learned people yeah. who we assume have all the knowledge and they're going to tell us parts of that knowledge that are relevant at any given time, they didn't have the knowledge, and so therefore they were telling us incorrect things mm-hmm. at any given time, and it was a lot because it was happening a lot, and it was a feature, and it was a discussion point. So yes, th- these days it is not good enough to not know, but as we've been saying, there are too many people on television and radio 
who simply do not know, and yet they still do the job. Yes, and that, that is really, this is why we're trying to change how people view, if, if you do the job, this is what you should do. But also in terms of going back to educating and informing the viewers, I've been speaking to Sky about, because I feel people like to see things visually, whether it be torch beams or circles around players. So when a replay comes in, if I'm talking about a centre-half who's out of position, unless you understand the game and where a centre-half's meant to be, it, it might be lost. You might hear what I'm saying, but it all happened in five seconds and it'll be gone. So I'm saying to Sky, well, can't we highlight the player I'm talking about? Simple torch beam. People like, I'm sure viewers like to see things on the screen. They use it a lot in the continent. They use heat maps touch maps so you can really explain what you're trying to say but make it visual as well so rather than just have like a, a, a say a couple of numbers or percentage of possession it doesn't really tell the story and it takes people longer to understand the point you're trying to make so we're trying to simplify again if we're talking about a player's influence how could we best show Benjamin Mendy's influence getting forward against Huddersfield there was a heat map produced that we could have used during the game but we don't tend to use them that would have explained it beautifully and it's visual and you'd see the red area of where he spent most of his time virtually playing as a left winger. And to me, it would explain things virtually instantly. And then I could add a word or two over the top, but people can see straight away the point you're looking to make. So it's, again, it's developing how we inform the viewer as well. But we've maybe had it for 20 years. This is how we do it. This is all we do. We do possession. We do action areas. But what happens if that doesn't tell the story of the game? We've got to make what we do relevant to what's happening out on the pitch. And then we've got to then relay that to the viewer who might not have realised that that's happening in the most understandable way. And actually making it visual, I think, really appeals to it to a lot of viewers. What's the particular challenge for football in that regard, though, is it is in many ways the most organic of sports. Mm. And that there aren't very many stoppages in which you can implement that stuff. In other sports, you know that you're going to get those moments of downtime in which you could you could demonstrate the way that a winger in rugby union is, yeah, yeah. is moving or influencing the game. It, it's much more difficult well, if yeah, you're... If you're Nothing's ever happening in rugby union. You know what I mean? <laughs> but what we started standing around, what we started not to do missing now, an opportunity. There. What we started to do now is have is have meetings before the game. And as you said about people's knowledge, that the commentator and the co-commentator, no one should know more than us about the players and what's going to happen. We started to have meetings now with the stats people, the graphics people, to say we anticipate this might happen. If if the sides are good at set pieces, just keep an eye out for maybe scoring or not scoring from set pieces. Can we build something that might reflect whether they're doing well or not? So we start to preempt what might happen. Because if you watch a team play for four or five games, like if you watch Leeds or Middlesbrough or Swansea, we tend to try and think, well, we feel this, if this team is picked, this is how they might play. So watch out for this aspect of the game. They keep the possession too much in their own half. Can we keep an eye on that? And any stat that we use, if that's what happens, make it relevant to the game or the 20 minutes, whatever, that you're watching now. So it has to be more on the, it's more challenging because you have to do it virtually instantly. But that's the challenge for us all, is to explain a game and show people what they can't see or don't realise is happening as understandably, but do it as it happens. But don't do it in just, well, it's just... 60% possession because that doesn't tell a story a team might have 40% of the ball but be more threatening so how do we explain that by, rather than just putting a, a possession stat on this so we're all working now the, we're all trying to say well let's have a blank sheet of paper don't just have set stuff that we always use let's have stuff that might be really specific to this game you have to build it as it goes along and it might take you a minute but it'll be definitely worth it for the viewer one way that we do get that actually is with penalties I don't think you've noticed yeah. that if Tottenham win a penalty yeah, yeah. you often get the graphic pings up which shows you where Harry Kane has put his last six penalties mm. 
So it, it shows you that it's possible, but that, that's a very clearly defined break in play moment mm-hmm. in which you can do that. Maybe what you described, like with Benjamin Mendy's influence yeah, yeah, on the game, yeah. you know, if, if he goes off, if he's being substituted well, off, so, you know, that's were, an opportunity. If ball got for a goal kick, you do, and we're always very careful. We speak to directors and say, look, I'd like to make this point. We, we've got the image that we want to use, but we've got to wait for a, you know, a throw-in or it might be a defensive throw-in or the ball goes for a goal kick. We can use it, but you've got to again, but then you have to understand what the director's role is, what they're looking to do. So you have to anticipate there's so much more involved in it and you have so much more influence and if you're going to have more influence you need to be educated better you need to understand the role better because people are going to come to you and ask you how's this game going to unfold who are the key players what are the elements of the game that we should be looking out for in terms of graphics or statistics they're going to come to co-coms whereas in the past they used just to turn up at quarter to three or half past seven for a night game and just pick up the microphone where you want the demands to be that much more because you've played the game you should know more than anybody else what is going to happen and if again if you approach it as a job you can have a huge influence and you can actually improve the output which is what which is what we're trying to do with all this with stuff we're putting together you've improved our output andrew you've improved well i try output. i try is there any is there any um, part of uh, your weighty tome that you so i put my glasses not, back on not have a chance to get to because mm. what are your t- so what, what are your 10 presets and what are the 10 things just just not the not the full body of the text just okay the well the main commentators they describe what is happening the viewer can see what is happening the co-commentators provide the how and the why that is the absolute bread and butter of the job. Big tick. Your words, your tone of voice and delivery, you have to put them to maximum use because you're talking. Know your territory, when to say something and when not to. It is sometimes incredibly hard, as you find with me, to actually not say anything. And that, so you've got to let a game, you've got to, the flow of a game, sometimes you need some downtime for it to be picked up again. How you watch the game as well, it enables you to be more effective in the job that you do. If you watch the ball, you will miss everything that you're there to see. So you have to change the way that you watch the game. You have to watch the whole pitch, all the players, everything at once. And you think, well, that's impossible. It isn't. You can just learn how to do it. You can guide the coverage as well, because if you're seeing a game unfold, you should be anticipating or realising how the why something is happening during the course of the game, our formation's not working. You speak to directors to then say, well, can we have this shot? Can we have these graphics? Can we have these statistics to, to go down the road? Because this is the way the game's going, so you should be driving that as well, not being told and given stuff that you then have to react to. Um, relevance, you've got to make your comments relevant to the game you're covering. It's pointless saying, well, 20 years ago, this finished 1-1. Well, how's that going to affect today's game that has absolutely no bearing so the relevance is hugely important as well and the biggest thing is player pronunciations don't use nicknames don't use cliches it's just so incredibly lazy but but because they don't do their homework people just fall into the trap of of he's a he's a always oh, a top top player they just say the things that they hear other people saying and think well i can get away with that but it isn't good enough and the challenge is there to to do all these things and do the job a, do the job and do it much better. So don't say top, top player, but you can say top, top, top player. Uh, no, that's worse. That's worse, right? That's even worse. <laughs> it's pretty unfair to single out who, those who, who we don't think are very good, apart from Glenn Hoddle, Mandukic. Um, but if hopefully... You've and Stephen Unzonze. <laughs> Who's Stephen <laughs> Unzonze? That, that isn't his name, Hopefully Glenn. you've heard from Andrew Hinchcliffe. Um, you have attempted to articulate... What makes a successful pundit? And there are those who will listen to you and will understand that it is indeed possible. But perhaps the message that we say to those people is, ask yourselves, when you're watching or listening, do they fulfill the criteria mm. that you have just laid out? And then yeah. you can make your own judgments on, on whether they're... And also, try and, it's interesting, try and watch a game without watching the ball. Know where the ball is, 
but don't watch the ball. It's really difficult. Players do it because that's it's like kids in the playground. They, they end up, and how many mistakes are made from players ball watching? Even the top top players, there I've done it, make mistakes. <laughs> but just try it. The next game that you watch, well, the, the problem is, is that when you watch TV coverage, you get a slice of the game where the ball is. If you ever go to a game, try and sit as high as you possibly can and watch the whole game. Consciously watch the opposition back four when the other teams back four have the ball. See whether you can adjust your view of the game and you will see so much more. You'll appreciate the movement that happens and you'll see formations morphing. And it's really interesting, but it is incredibly hard for anybody to do. And even just because you played the game, it doesn't make it easier. You still have to train your mind to watch the game differently. One of the other things you said is don't use nicknames, which will mm. make this soccer story interesting because that was part one of Andy Hinchcliffe. Now we've got part two. It's never mind Jack and Ori, what a soccer story. This is when Andy tells the tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Would we all like to play a little game that I've devised? Do you still need your glasses for this? Yes, because I'm trying to read what I've written down. And if I take my glasses, no, I can't read it. It's all blurry. We know that footballers are renowned for using nicknames, giving their teammates nicknames. So Everton 1990 to 1998, the Hinchcliffe years, it was an extraordinary time. Is there to, an honours board at that, that, Goodison Park? Yeah, I think it's just, it's just known. That eight-year eight period is, is known as the Hinchcliffe years. That's I just what it is. That's, used to the, it. that's what the DVD's called in the club shop. <laughs> it is. So I've, I've gone through the players that were around at that time. And I, how much, 1990 to 98, say the 95 cup final winning team okay. there's some quite big names in there if I were to give you some nicknames of the players that were around that time at Everton do, do you, can you see whether you'd actually be let's, able to pick them out let's, let's have a go just how many the, have I got the, the letter one, two, three, Y on the end of every surname. no 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 like that okay. who very very famous Evertonian was known as the bin man Neville Southall why was he known as the bin man? Because he either apocryphally or actually had worked as a bin man. Yeah, and he absolutely hated being called the bin man. So we called him the bin man. <laughs> he, 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 would re he, he really, really didn't like it. And he used to take the mickey out of everyone else and give everyone else nicknames. But if you called him the bin man, oh, you had big problems. So he could dish but it out, but he couldn't take it. He used it. to say it and then run away. That's tends to be what, what the bins? Did. He could dish it out. <laughs> who was known as? Who was known as the doll's head? Um, looking down the team because we managed to get the team up so that we do this. It a little might quicker not be on there, do. but he was. Uh, he oh, was. Uh, yes, I know because you've told us before. I think. Have is I? It John Ebrell. It is John Ebrell, and, and we can't say why. What he was no, no, he was known as a doll's head because you know, dolls have these kind of because he was thinning. Ah, okay. And you know how dolls have these kind of the the, the pricks on pinpricks on their head where their hair is punctured. Yeah, yeah. He started to look a bit like that, so Neville <laughs> christened him Doll's Head, which stuck. <laughs> Who was known as Nucky Bear? Nookie Bear is um, Graham Stewart. Why? First time I, because his, his, <laughs> his ocular features are quite close together. Um, yes. I, uh, the first time I met Graham Stewart, when he was working as a co-commentator, I brought this up. He was quite quiet for the first 10 minutes or so of our relationship. Did he not like it? <laughs> he wasn't particularly pleased that I, without meeting him before. The worst thing you can do, though. <laughs> I told him, hey, Nookie Bear. Th no. You didn't do that, seriously. <laughs> no, I didn't do the worst that. thing you can do when someone gives you a nickname is, is respond negatively to yeah. it, because then that's it you're set for life and I'm sure Neville again came up with this one he didn't like it that's it every single day from then on did you play wide left in the cup final uh, I was quite wide everywhere um, <laughs> uh, yes because Gary Ablett played yes, we, uh, Ablett we are played looking at the uh, Wikipedia I gave play. Roy Keane was Roy Keane at right back didn't I give right, Roy yeah, right, wing. right wing right wing yeah I gave him a torrid time he, he still speaks of it to this day we are looking at the 1995 who um, was known as the fine. Rhino right out no uh, David Unsworth. Dave, why? Because he w was 
built like a proverbial <laughs> rhino. He was massive. <laughs> uh, Who's next? But also, rhinos can get up a fair lick of speed, can't they, over short distances? Yeah. And Unzi was incredibly quick. To be fair, very quick. You could have used the rhino for Barry Horn as well. No, he was horny, but let's not go down that road. <laughs> and he hated that. Oh, he hate. Oh, that's, that's another story. Chemistry teacher. Anyway, Barry Horn. who was Vinegar Sandwich? Vinny Samway. Correct, Amundo. Yes. <laughs> Little play on words there. <laughs> who was one of the heroes of the uh, the Cup final team of '95? Who was Floppy? Floppy. Somebody. Oh, Gary Ablett. No. With his floppy hair. Anders Limper. No. Uh, Matt Jackson. Matt Jackson. Matt Jackson. Why was he floppy? Because it, it he was got, like, did he, he have had, curtains? No, he had a side. side. It wasn't floppy. It was his general body language. Oh, right, he okay. had arms and legs which were too long for his body. And he's like Mr... Is you're it Mr. Soft, who kind of walks yeah. around yeah. or his oh, arms... The tree ball, for the tree ball, Edward. Yeah. As if he's like one of those rubber chickens who's got no bones you in his right body. You tell me the world I'm doing is so strange. You are, which is also the riff from Shaker Maker by Oasis. Ah. The, um, the, you are obsessed with people whose legs are too long for their body. Am I? Really odd. You te- it's your first... It's your Wait till you see what comes later. All right. Uh, who was known as... There's, there's two for this, for this particular person, very famous person. Shaggy or Lardy Bomb? <laughs> <laughs> who was Shaggy? He's not a million miles away from this table. Chinch. That was me. You were called Shaggy. Yes, when I, at my, my youth days with Everton, because I had a little growth of hair upon my chin, and Steve Redmond thought I looked like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Oh, at Manchester. Man- not yeah. because of the other reason. It's because I look like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Right. Lardybum speaks for itself. It really does. Yes. Who was known as a Stumpy Legs? <laughs> Again, he's obsessed. No, this was because he did have quite short legs. Um, it, it, but a prolific goal scorer. Oh. He might have been there before your yeah, early 90s. Right, he was more the, the... Graham Sharp? No, because he's quite tall, wasn't Sharpie. he? Quite it's tall. Sharp, isn't it? No. He was good in the air. Graham Sharp, yeah. Who's known as Stumpy Legs? Cotty. Tony, Tony Cotty. Very good. Tony Cotty. Peter Beagrie uh, christened him that, and that stuck. Who was known as the Balm Cake? The palm cake because he looked like two slabs of bread. No, if you think about the word, Nicky Barmby. Nicky Barm oh, cake. Barm cake. <laughs> oh, he loved that one. He's like, he is like really genuinely one of those one. 1980s uh, game show hosts peering over his glasses yeah, yeah. when you know 1980s game show hosts could have the. Because I've got all the answers in front of me. Okay, two more chins. Then we two more. Well, this is this is he had two names because he was he was that bad. <laughs> Jigsaw or barn door. So he couldn't, As in couldn't hit. hit. Couldn't hit a barn door and Jigsaw fell to pieces in the box. <laughs> that was Stuart Barlow. Do you remember oh, yeah. Stewie Stuart Barlow? He was an appalling oh, yeah, goal so scorer. I, I remember. He scored, didn't he score a, a hat-trick for Tranmere in an FA Cup game um, beating Glenn Hoddle Southampton? You should be pleased. Really? Yeah, yeah. Really? And if, for Tranmere. I'm sure I've mentioned this person in a, if you were listening finally, close in a previous. Now, I've got there's two of my favourites here that okay, aren't anything on, to do with. Um, who was Bobby Vodka? If you listen to a previous... Oh, um, Last week we mentioned it. Yes. Who was Bobby Vodka? Can you remember? Vizica. Correct, Amundo. Yes. But two of my favourites of all time in terms of, of nicknames. Neil Poynton, who was part of the exchange when I went from Everton to Man City. He oh, went from... He's got a really good nickname, Neil Poynton. Disser. Disappointing. <laughs> Disappointing, that's it, yeah. Even his own teammates called him that. <laughs> and do you remember Gilles de Bilder? Yes. The Belgian... Bob. Uh, Bob. <laughs> Bob, but Andy Booth actually thought he was called Bob. We said, no, it's Bob. And he went, oh, right, it's Bob. No, no, Bob the Builder. All oh, right, it's called Bob. No, Bob the Builder? 
It took us a while to explain the nickname to Boo. It took a bit of time to get it, but that's a belter, isn't it? Bob the Builder. It's been a while since Andy Boo was featured on this podcast. I know. Oh, we've missed I've him. I've had some that's a, proper, that's a proper retro we've missed him. mention, that is. Um, well, thanks, Lardy Bum. You did well. You did well. Uh, for that excellent... Uh, Excellent game, an excellent pod all round from you, Chinch. Thanks. Strong work. Um, if, <laughs> if That's the like easiest to, uh, hour's work we've had in ages. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. If you'd like to get in touch directly with Chinch, because getting in touch with us is clearly pointless because he'll take over, uh, at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, Rory and Andy. Uh, what was it? Shaggy. And <laughs> thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Uh, do you have nicknames in your fields of... Do you, do, you no. fr- do you fraternise a lot? Do you do you, have do, do you have any friends? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because you're quite a lone wolf, aren't you, Rory? When you go off writing and stuff, do you? We don't hang around do in you? dressing rooms with little or nothing to do other than come up with silly nicknames. That sounds a bit sordid, yeah. Stephen. That's not how it well, works. Well, that describes pretty much all professional not have the puerile schoolboy humour of some of great names the in there. Come on now, there's some good names in there. Bit of work's gone into Dis- Nicky Barnsdale. is outstanding. <laughs> that is an outstanding. But fitness. for his own close friends and teammates to call him that, and he used to laugh about <laughs> his it. own parents. <laughs> <laughs> they christened him that, like Jill DeBeal's parents christened him Bob. The, I think we, should, we, we need to put it out there and get some of the best nicknames. Not not hot, naughty ones. No, no naughty Nick, ones. Nick, Nick you left off all the naughty ones. The yes, one I, I always enjoyed was one size, yeah, one size for the Fitzhall. 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 Brilliant. That's, I think that, that is, if you can beat that, send it in. Yes. What yeah. about Kiki, Musam- uh, Kiki Musampa, who played for Man City? Yeah, I remember. His, his brother, Chris. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Work it, work it. Yeah. 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 yeah, I don't think you did have a brother. Just a joke.